In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's meditation is on the topic of a divine filiation. We have been hearing this expression very often, but many people, as myself for some time, have understood it as a mere good feeling. Something like, God says that we are his children to make us feel good because he created us. But that's it. No more implications. This is the way in which the Old Testament portrayed the relationship between humans and God, a relation of creator and creature. Even when in some of the texts God calls Israel son, this relationship is never personal like father to son, but general like creator to created. For instance, in Exodus it says, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Or in Deuteronomy it says, Is this the return you make to the Lord, O people brainless and unwise? Is this not your father who gave you being, who made you, by whom you subsist? The prophets added some more human sense to that relationship, but still is far from the idea of one considering God Father, as a son or a daughter considers his or her father. There is always something lacking. For instance, in Isaiah it says, You shall be carried at the breast of God, and upon his knees you will be caressed, as one whom the mother comforts, so will I comfort you. Or in the prophet Hosea, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The result was that no one in Israel dared to call God Father in his or her prayers. They didn't even mention the name Yahweh, so much less imagine a different relationship with God than the one mentioned between Creator and Creature. The New Testament brings a new vision. Through it we begin to understand the deeper meaning of our life. Let us start with the moment in which the Apostles asked Jesus to teach them to pray as he prayed and Jesus taught them the Our Father, encouraging them to call God Father. It is true that they didn't understand much of it, but you may agree that it was a drastic change in prayer and the beginning of a new logic. Around the year 62, St. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings of heaven in Christ. 
Before the world was made, he chose us, chose us in Christ to be holy and spotless and to live through love in his presence, determining that we should become his adopted sons. Through Jesus Christ, for his own kind purposes, to make us praise the glory of his grace, his free gift to us in the Beloved, in whom, through his blood, we gain our freedom, the forgiveness of our sins. St. Paul writes it in one go. There is no full stop, so anything that makes you to stop is maybe some commas, but no more. In this hymn, he summarizes the Old and the New Testament, the purpose of the universe in general, and the purpose of our own creation and redemption in particular. And he explains our dignity, what makes us different to the rest of the animals. Let's read, little by little, the text. Before the world was made, he chose us, chose us in Christ to be holy and spotless and to live through love in his presence. God thought of us before creating anything. We are very special for him. A choice only can mean one thing, love. God created us out of love and for love. To be holy and spotless and to live through love in his presence. Let's start now from the end of the sentence. In his presence, which is more than to be in front of him like a mirror, especially because it is preceded by holy and spotless. This presence is a participation in some intimacy with God. An animal, and that's what we are, doesn't need to be holy and spotless before God. And also because the text says to live through love. We know, because God has revealed it, that God is love. Deus caritas est. So the text can be understood. Before God created anything, God thought of humans to live in mess in him, living a life not of any kind of love, but living with God in his infinite love. In Christ is passing by, San Jose Maria explains, We do not exist in order to pursue just any happiness. We have been called to penetrate the intimacy of God's own life, to know and love God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and to love also, in the same love of the one God in three divine persons, the angels and all men. It is time for us to stop and reflect. Talk to Jesus. I'm sure that you have many things to say to him. I am just repeating inside of me, Gracias Tibi Deus, Gracias Tibi. Thanks to you, O Lord, thanks to you. God is so good. Why do you love me, Lord, if I don't have any merit, if I, de if I don't deserve it? If we were able to acknowledge how much God loves us, we would be holy. Only ignorance can resist the love of God.
St. Paul takes carry on saying, determining that we should become his adopted sons through Jesus Christ for his own kind purposes to make us praise the glory of his grace. The way God incorporates us to his inner life is becoming his adopted children. When did it happen? At the beginning, I thought it was after death and resurrection of our Lord. But I was wrong. As we have heard from St. Paul, God created us to be his adopted children. This was the purpose of the creation. Let's look at the text of Genesis. There are two narrations regarding the creation of humans. The first one says, Let's look at the first one. In it, one can notice that there is a break in the narration. For the rest of the creation, things were just created as such by the word of God. Now, there is a kind of condition and aim. In Genesis 1.26, it says, God said, and here comes the condition, let us make man in our own image, in the likeness of ourselves, and then the aim of this creation, and let them be masters of the fish of the sea, the birds of heaven, the cattle, all the wild animals, and all the creatures that creep along the ground. Many will say that image and likeness means the same. It is true that we use them almost indistinctly for the same thing, like when two people look very similar. But we also use the expression likeness to explain that two things are the same in essence, even they don't look the same externally. For instance, when we say that humans are the likeness of each other, we are not saying that we look like clones of each other, but that we share the same essence. We look externally very different, but we recognize that behind these different appearances we are the same, humans. Now let's bring it to God. If God says that we are his image and likeness, God is suggesting that we have something that makes us to be the image of the Creator, our freedom what makes us to be creative, and something else that makes us his likeness, something that makes us somehow divine. It is what the Catholic Church has always defended, that God created us in a state of grace from the beginning. De Lubac will say that the natural is the supernatural. There wasn't any time in which human being was in the state of just human nature. But on the contrary, God created us in the state of grace from the very beginning. It is funny that we use the expression grace, a state of grace, sanctifying grace, etc. And we don't realize it is grace what transforms us into children of God and thus makes us part of his family introducing us into the Trinity. The second narration is saying the same, but from the, an angle less philosophical and more 
artistic. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, Yahweh, God, shaped man from the soil of the ground and blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living being. This text is telling us that we are something special for God because he doesn't just say a word and we are created, but it is explaining that God took care of our creation, that it was special to him. He, we could say, implicated himself in the task, got his hands dirty, it also says that we are from the earth, that we are not divine. But, in the second part of the sentence, it says, and blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living being. This blowing his breath into Adam's nostrils goes beyond what we normally understand. The last thing we would like is someone blowing his or her breath on us, especially after a meal rich in garlic. But the breath of God is his creative spirit, his life. Even we use the expression, he breathed his last, to say that the person has died. We understand that breath as a sign of life, and the life has gone of him. So the text is telling us, in a visual way, that God has passed to us his inner life, that we have something that the rest of the creation has not received, the Spirit of God. And man became a living being, and we receive a life which is connected with God, both narrations are telling us the same story. To be a son or a daughter of God is the greatest dignity that one can receive in life. People may be proud of belonging to some royal families or rich families or famous families. We are proud of being children of God. There is no one above us, only God. Let's not be afraid of anything or anyone. A son of God, a daughter of God. Yes, that is what we are. Let's enjoy this moment with him.
carry on with the same thought, we can bring a text of San Jose Maria in Friends of God. It says, Anyone who does not realize that he is a child of God is unaware of the deepest truth about himself. St. Thomas Aquinas also says that the person who doesn't have grace doesn't have anything. That is what happened when someone is in mortal sin or had not been baptized. Before God, we could say, doesn't have any dignity but the dignity of an animal that has been created and nothing more. Few years ago, a history teacher organized a trip to Belgium to the sites of some of the battles of the First World War. It was autumn, it was cold, it was muddy and raining. The aim of the trip was not to have fun, but to learn history. When they came back to London, one of the boys said to him, Thank you, sir. It has been the best three days of my life. The teacher knew the boy and knew the reason why he said it. At home, no one cared about him at all. Could you imagine a world without joy, without grace, a world without family? Welcome to the world after the original sin. It was awful. Grace was gone. Hope was gone. No heaven, no family of God. Joy could be only found in material things. And we know how limited and boring they are. And life in the end ends. I was trying to explain these things to some eight-years-old girls in a meditation. I remember that I was walking in the middle of the oratory. It was a little trick I used to keep them quiet. I realized that if I remain standing or sitting beside the meditation table, they move a lot. But if I walk in the corridor in the middle of the oratory, they follow me with their heads like a tennis match, but I stay put. I ask them, why did our Lord die on the cross? They answer at the same time, like one person. Our Lord died on the cross for the sins of the sinners. I don't know why I thought sins and sinners, this sounds very abstract. So looking intensely to the girl I have in front of me, I said, Yes, but for your sins and my sins, to make the point. And she replied, Come on, I was not born at that time. Probably she thought that I was old enough, but of course she wasn't. The reason why the second person of the Blessed Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, came on earth was not just to take away our sins, but there was something deeper behind the catastrophe of the original sin. Original sin destroyed grace inside of us, destroyed us, and with this destroyed the purpose of the creation, destroyed the aim of the creation, 
because we were that aim. We could only reach human happiness, but nothing else. Could you imagine how boring it would be an eternity of human pleasures? It is true that Jesus died for our sins, but there is a reason they were the obstacle, and especially the original sin. It was to the obstacle was to enjoy a personal relationship with God. It is not that heaven was closed, but rather that we lost the capacity to enjoy heaven. Unless we had something divine transforming our nature, we would have never been able to enjoy the happiness of God. Like a pet cannot enjoy the happiness or sadness of his master fully. St. John writes his gospel to explain the reason why Jesus came on earth. He starts by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. This prologue is a reminiscent of the first chapter of the book of Genesis. John is telling us, I'm talking of the same word who created everything. God the Almighty came on earth, not a semi-God, but God the Almighty is the one who came on earth. And then he carries on saying, What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had not overcome it. St. John uses the expression life, but it is a new life that becomes a light insofar it keeps understanding to all the aspects of our existence and of everything we have received. Grace, sacraments, revelation, the coming of God on earth. His passionate and merciful love for us, everything. He was in the world, St. John carries on, and the world came to be through him, but the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to those who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You see, St. John is like preparing us to give us the, the revelation that Jesus came on earth to take away the effects of the original sin, to restore in us the dignity that we lost through the original sin, the dignity of children of God. It's very surprising that he never mentions the Bethlehem, the cave in Bethlehem, the Meiji, nothing. Yes, he gives us reasons, reasons why Jesus was doing things, like he never mentioned in the Eucharist, as he never mentions at the Last Supper the Eucharist. But he tells us why Jesus did all these things. I mean, gave us the Eucharist and died for us on the cross. And it was out of love for us, because he really loved us. So we are children of God, real children of God. Not just people who feel 
that they are considered by God like children. You know, we have been transformed. San Jose Maria, in another text of Christ is Passing By, he says, Our faith teaches us that man in a state of grace is divinized, filled with God. We are men and women, not angels. We are flesh and blood, people with sentiments and passions, with sorrows and joys. And this divinization affects everything human. It is a sort of foretaste of the final resurrection. Now I want to leave you with our Lord. Tell him that you are very, very happy to be a son of God, to be the image and likeness of himself, to be with him. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.